The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me ask you now to take your copy of God's Word. Let me ask you to take your copy of God's Word and join me in the book of John. John chapter 19 is where I'll be for just a few minutes this morning. We want to continue. We want to transition from that to this seven words series that we have been in. We have looked at a couple of those already, and today we're going to look at this third word from Jesus on the cross, his last seven expressions or words from the cross, and today is his address to his mother. John 19, 26 through 27 is where we're going to be today, and we see here a text that probably a lot of us have been tempted to just rush over and rush by. We see this, and we, we, we hear him tell John, behold your mother. Tells Mary, behold your son. And we just kind of rush past this and we think that really doesn't have much for me. But I'm here to tell you that I believe it has an incredible word for us today. So let me read this for us. John 19, beginning in verse 26. And let me just point out a few things in the text. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I want to spend just a few minutes this morning, and I want us to look at those that he saw there and those that he spoke to. And those were Mary and that was John. And then I want to then turn and show you what Jesus did in that moment and then application for us out of this text together. First off, Mary What Mary teaches us when we look at these two verses is Mary teaches us that being called by God and enlisted into his service is not an exemption from suffering and loss. It's not an exemption from suffering and loss. Today there's a teaching that says that if you'll just come to Jesus, everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be fine and wonderful, and and, and you don't have to worry about anything. But the very mother of Jesus knew sorrow and loss incredibly well. Could there be anyone that was more enlisted or more called to God than Mary? Mary was no stranger to sorrow. I mean, from the moment the angel Gabriel visited her and told her that she had received favor from God and she was going to bear the the Christ child, that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, from that moment, from that moment, she began to be troubled. She must have worried over how she would tell Joseph. They were pledged to be married, but they had never been together. He would, he would obviously think that she had been with someone else. How was she going to tell him that now she was pregnant and she couldn't keep it from him because eventually it was going to show? She endured the gossip when she began to show of, of the city, I'm sure. For nine months, she was talked about in her own city and she was treated as an outcast. And those inner city that she had grown up in, around, and, and had been raised by, thought she was telling this lie that this whole thing had to have been made up. At the time of, of the birth of Christ, she and Joseph had just gone on this long journey that was mandated to them from the government, and when they get to the city, there's no room for them in the inn, and she has to go through this ordeal of childbirth without the comforts of a hospital or, or a doctor or a nurse or any of what most of us in this room, if we have children, have walked through together. 
She has to lay her child in this feeding trough of an animal, wrap him in just strips of cloth. Then, just a little while past that, an insecure and tyrant king becomes jealous, thinking that someone's after his own throne, and and he issues a decree to kill all these baby boys that were two years and under. And Mary has to think, is he going to find us? He's beginning to hunt them down, and she has to run and hide. Because of this, they became refugees in Egypt for a number of years. She's misplaced from her home. Eventually, when they get back, she's watches Jesus grow up, and through the years she watches Isaiah 53 become true in front of her eyes, that, that he's really despised and rejected, that, that those other people around him didn't understand him. And even as a boy, while we don't have much information, she must have watched her own son suffer, be rejected and hated and persecuted by his own people. And somewhere along the way, she became a widow and Joseph falls off the scene, and she becomes a widow and a single mother. So let me tell you something. Being called by God and enlisted into his service is not an exemption, exemption from suffering and loss. Mary knew it all too well. And now, in this very passage, she's standing by his cross, watching him be brutally beaten, mocked, and nailed to a cross. She's watching him as he gasps for air, trying in, in, this, in this moment, he is suffering as a human being on the cross. There's no, there's no pulling back from it. There's no stripping it of any of its authenticity. Yes, he is fully God, never stops being God, but he is also fully man, feeling the weight of the agony of the torture of the cross. She's also going to see him as he bears the agony of the wrath of God for the sin of the world. This is Mary, his mother, watching by his side in silence. Let me ask you this, church. What in the world could hold a mother in that moment? What could cause her to stay there in that moment and watch her son be done this way? Other than love. It's love in this moment, I would tell you, that she is held there by. Arthur Pink, I love the way he describes her here. He says, bereft of faith and hope, baffled and paralyzed by the strange scene, yet bound with the golden chain of love to the dying one, there she stands. I love the imagery of her being bound by this golden chain of love, watching her own son die. I mean, think about it. She, she was there watching this. And I would say to the mothers in the room, could there be anything more painful than this? Try to put yourself in her shoes, watching your own child be treated this way. I mean, how many times have you as a mother cleaned a scraped knee or soothed when your child was sick or when someone mistreated your child, you rushed to their defense And now you're standing and you're watching the most despicable treatment of your own child you could ever imagine and beyond, and you're powerless to do anything. You can't run to their aid. You can't wipe the blood from the face. You can't can't do anything to relieve any of the... Imagine the suffering that Mary is feeling in this moment. You say, well, 
Why is she standing there silent? Well, what else is she supposed to do? Love holds her there. And I would say to you, more than love in Mary's case, there's this reverence for the fact that this is what he came to do. This is why he's here. In Mary's case, early on when he was 12 years old and they had gone to the temple and they lost him in the travel back home and they couldn't find him and they searched frantically, last really recording of Joseph being there, and they come back and they finally find him at the temple and they say, your father and I were worried sick. We looked everywhere. Why did you do this? And Jesus said, did you not know that I would be in my father's house? And it's not disrespectful. There's no tone in it. It is simply him saying, my life is under the ultimate authority of the Father. And in that moment, I believe Mary must have learned he's going to be subject to the will of God all of his life. In, in Cana, when there was the wedding and they ran out of wine, and Mary comes to Jesus and says, you can fix this. And Jesus says to her, woman, it, it's, it's not my time. And she turns and, and she looks at those in, that are there serving and she simply says, just do whatever he tells you. And Jesus turns water to wine. I think in that moment, Mary must have learned that there's a place where she must bow out where she can't speak up anymore. She has to allow him to fulfill the role and the mission for which he came. And this is painful. But this is the life of the one who's been called and enlisted into the service of God. Secondly, I'll show you this in the text. When we look at John, John teaches us that being called by God and enlisted into his service is not an exemption for fear and failure. John had fled with the other disciples, the other 11. They had all fled. That's what Matthew 26 tells us, that all the disciples fled. Before we're too hard on John, I think we need to probably take a look inside and look at ourselves and remember all the times that we have also failed and all the times that we have fled, all the times that we have misrepresented ourselves about claiming that we were something that we were not or, or claiming to have more courage than we really had. And when that moment of persecution came and we were faced to either stand and identify with the Savior or not, we, in our weakness of faith, fled. Being called by God and enlisted into His service is not an exemption from fear and failure. John knows that all too well. Jesus told His disciples that they would all run. In Matthew 26, He says, You will all fall away because of Me this night. And that word fall away is a word that in some places is, is translated offended. It can also be translated scandalized. There in the garden with Him, when, when they came in to arrest Him, and Peter draws that sword and swipes and hits the ear of Malchus. And Jesus picks it up, puts it back on, and, and tells his disciples to stop. This is the very reason for which he came. They were baffled and confused. They had for so long been thinking and, and visualizing this political kingdom that he was going to be this Messiah that would finally liberate them from Roman tyranny. And when this seemed to go south, it seemed scandalous to them, and they were embarrassed by it. And they fled. 
And I would say to you again, how many times have we failed to stand because we have in a moment been too ashamed to stand against the culture or to stand against peers? I wish I could tell you that following Christ was always going to be easy, that, uh, that everybody everywhere was always going to love you and welcome you wherever you go, that you walk into a room and, and they call your name. But that's just not the case. If that were the case, if following Christ were easy and you would be loved, then they would not, never have crucified Jesus. They would have loved him too. But sometimes in following Christ, things do get risky. Sometimes they even get dangerous. Sometimes there seems to be reason, and I say seems to be, there seems to be reason to be ashamed. I was watching Big Bang Theory the other night, and Sheldon on Big Bang Theory was talking about the faith of his mother, who happens to be a Christian. And as they were mocking Christianity, Sheldon called her faith pre-enlightenment mythology. Sometimes the culture tries to say that we are, we are just deluded and we are fools for believing and thinking what we're saying. I wish I could tell you that they're all going to love us, but they're not. Sometimes there are things that we can't explain and we're tempted to shrink back from trusting the inerrancy of the Bible. Sometimes there are the, the, the place where, where God has drawn the lines of right and wrong is not the same place where the culture draws those lines. And we're tempted in those moments to shrink back, not from the inerrancy, but from the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. And we want to capitulate to the culture in order to be received and received well. I wish I could tell you that it's always going to be easy. But following Christ is not an exemption from fear and failure. And there will be plenty of times also when you will, you will find yourself standing under the weight of guilt because you have failed. You have been afraid and you have ran. But I want to show you the mercy of Jesus. My third and final point in this message this morning is this, that Jesus' words to Mary and John teach us that Christ cares and will meet every need. His words to Mary and to John teach us that he cares and he will meet every need. I mean, think about this. What in this moment, when he, when he looks and he sees Mary and John at the foot of the cross, what in this moment is he going through? Is he not in this moment suffering in his flesh, but also suffering the wrath of God for the sin of the world? Is he not in this moment suffering in this way, physical agony, spiritual agony, becoming sin, bearing wrath? Is any of it because he has personally sinned? Is he here being punished for his own sin? No. And why is he enduring it? He's enduring for us. He endures the shame of the cross for us, ultimately for the glory of God, but the Bible tells us that He so loved the world that He gave His only Son for us, that whoever would believe will not perish but have everlasting life. It's love that motivates Him. It's compassion that led Him here. It's not just passion without, a, without any ability or refusing to do anything about it, but it's compassion where He comes to where we are and does something about our problem. 
Our problem is sin, and our sin condemns us, and it sends us to a Christless eternity called hell. But Jesus, in this moment, he's caring and he's meeting our need more than Mary and John, ours, if we would have faith. So what's he providing here? How is he meeting this need? Because in this moment, he is providing the atonement that is necessary. He's providing the sacrifice, the one that had to die, the one that was pictured in the Passover lamb. He's providing that atonement. In his life lived in total obedience, he's providing for us righteousness so that the requirements of the law are met and you and I are received in faith by grace through faith in Christ. Here in this moment, in this moment, we see Jesus caring and meeting our need, our deepest need. But beyond the deepest need, he cared for his mother by making sure that she was provided for after he was gone. It was the responsibility of the oldest son in that culture to make sure that if the husband or father was gone, if he had died or if he was gone through divorce or whatever, it was the oldest son's responsibility to take care of his mother. And Jesus knows here he's about to lose his mother because he's going to die. I thought about it. It hit me this week as I, as I studied this, and I looked forward to the other sayings when Jesus in a, in a couple weeks is going to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I realized that in these same few hours, Jesus is not only losing his mother, but he loses his father in a way in the same day. Jesus here cares for his mother. Even in this, even while enduring all of this, he is in his right mind. He's fully capable, and he looks down and he sees his mother, and he to the end is obedient to the word of God. What, what does what do the commandments tell us? To honor your father and mother. And here, even in this moment, he cares for his mother. And he honors her. Not only did he care for his mother in this moment, but he cares for John. By looking to John and saying, John, behold your mother, and looking to his mother and saying, behold your son, He's also caring for John by giving him courage and restoring him to usefulness. I mean, think about it. If John was one of the ones that had fled, there had to have been moments where John stood under the weight of that guilt of running away and departing the one who was greatly loved by Jesus. And here Jesus could look down from the cross and see him and say, Get away from my mother. You have, you have no business being near her. Get, get away from her. You, you ran out on me. Leave. But is that what Jesus says? Does he not hear say, John, behold your mother. He gives his mother to him. He restores his courage. The very fact that John comes back is, is, is evidence of the upholding grace of God. That somewhere along the way, when John was running, the grace of God didn't let him get too far before it turned him around, gave him the courage to come back to the foot of the cross. And it restores him to usefulness in giving his mother to John. I think that was meaningful to John, don't you? Verse 27, he tells us that from that very hour, John took Mary into his own home. I think that was a moment for John that said, oh, I'm loved. 
Oh, I'm loved. I've received such a great love. He cares. He cares about everything in my life, and He's met every need. And how could I not respond to that love that I have received? Oh, yes, I will take Mary as my mother, and I will care for her. So what's the takeaway for us? Well, the takeaway is this. If you're sitting here and you have things that are going on in your life, let me just say some things to you. If, if Jesus cared for the personal needs of Mary and John, even at a time like this, his greatest weakness in this moment, even now he's caring for the needs of others, can't you see that he would care so much more, that he cares more for your needs even today? Luke 8, 19-21 tells us that when Jesus was somewhere teaching that his mother and his brothers came and they were trying to get to him, but they couldn't. And someone came and told Jesus, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside, but they can't get in. They want to see you. And Jesus turns to those that are sitting there and he says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He's not saying, who are they? You're who I really care about. Oh, he cares about them. And we see this. We see this from the cross when he cares for his mother. But what he's saying is, in some level that is beyond our understanding, that for those of us who've been brought near by the grace of God, who've had hearts that are changed, that are now willingly following him, that we become in some way dearer to him than his own mother and brothers. There's an earthly side to that, but there is something beyond that earthly for those that are His spiritually. If Jesus cared for the personal needs of Mary and John, how much more can He care for us now? The second takeaway for us is this. If Jesus could meet the needs of of Mary and John while He was nailed to a cross, then He can most certainly meet the needs that you have going on in your life even right now. I mean, how much more could he meet those needs when now he's not nailed to a cross, but now he's been raised from the dead, and he's been exalted, and he's glory, he's there at the right hand of the Father, rich, the Bible says, in power and wealth and glory. How much more could he meet your need now? What do you have that you're saying, but Jesus, I, I know that you know, this is just too small for you to care about. What is it that you're holding on to that you're saying, but but Jesus, I I don't even think that you could do anything about this. This is too far gone. What is it that you're keeping to yourself that you think that he wouldn't care about anyway? What is it that you think that he could not do? Sometimes we we do this, don't we? Sometimes we have these trivial things in our lives that we say, oh, but, but that's too small of a thing to take to God. Doesn't he tell us to cast all of our cares on him? We see in this, this text, these two short verses, that being called by God and enlisted into his service is not an exemption from suffering and loss or fear and failure. Those things will happen, and right now some of you are sitting under the weight of some of that. 
And I get it. Because all of us get it. Because we all have endured it. And we all will endure it. It's part of being in this world. It's part of being in a world that has fallen and broken because of sin. But you need to hear me say that Jesus, when he speaks to Mary and John from the cross, it shows us and teaches us and should nail it down in our thoughts and our soul that Jesus cares and he will meet every single need. So cast your cares on him. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your caring. God, I thank you for the cross. And God, it's, it's hard for me to even say I thank you beyond the cross, but God, I do. I thank you that, that even in those small little details that, God, you care, that your word talks about the fact that there's not a bird that falls to the ground without your knowledge of it. That there's not a flower in the field that is more beautifully arrayed than one of your children. And God, I thank you that you care for all those details. I thank you that you came to where we were. I thank thank you that you know what it means to weep. I thank you that you know what it is to experience loss and suffering. God, I thank you that even in, in the garden as we Read that you prayed there. You, you understood what it was to, to have this earthly tension of, of uncertainty, but still while trusting you. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. God, I thank you that we see that in you. But God, more than anything, I do thank you for what came out of the cross. That our sin has been paid for, that righteousness has been achieved and God that that is not of our own merit but it is because you have done it all and so God right now I pray that you would continue to care and meet needs in this room that you would call people out of darkness and call them to yourself for your own beautiful name I pray in Jesus name amen we want to give you just a, a minute or two to respond. You can reflect. You can sit there and think about what's been said. Think about the conversation there from the cross with Jesus to Mary and John. Think about the needs that he met. Maybe, maybe there's something that's going on in your life that is a real pressing need, and you've thought it too trivial to take before God. Maybe you want to just use this time as Ethan plays to just right where you are, just take that before God. Maybe you're here today and you have never received the outcome of the cross. And maybe you're counting on something else. Maybe you've never thought about it. But you're in your own sin, guilty before him. And your sin earns you death. But you've seen today that when Jesus went to the cross, he went not because of his sin, but because of yours. And he died so you wouldn't have to. And he lived so that your righteousness, his righteousness would be yours. And you can be forgiven and made right with God today. Then, if that's you today, I'd love to talk with you. Love to have that conversation of how do you trust Jesus? I'll be seated, seating right down, seated right down here on the front. Love for you just to get up in a minute and walk down here and talk to me. Love to pray with you. If this is the church where God's leading you to be a part of, to join, please make that known today. Come see me. Whatever it is that God is leading you to today, I'm just going to ask you to step out in obedience. Follow his leading.
He cares. And he will meet every need if you'll trust him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.